I left off last week just talking about a spirit of prayer, and I, I just, you know, God has really impressed on my heart that um, to lead our church in a way that we are a church that pr- we're a praying church. Um, you know, once we've come in here, like, you know, different people have used different adjectives uh, to describe this. Um, this. You know, I invited a couple of, you know, my even family members that have come by. They, hey, the chirp church seems so hip, right? And the hipster has been one of the adjectives used to describe since we've come in and kind of renovated this facility. But I want that to be second or third tier. Uh, I want um, prayer and, and, and family to, to always be right up there of, of what, when people think about our church, um, what they know is important to us. And I'd, l- I'd love for our church to really elevate the status of what prayer means and is and that we would be a praying church. The men's prayer breakfast will be one outlet for us to um, involve ourselves in prayer. But I I left off last week just talking about establishing an altar of prayer at our church, and I I really just want to pick up there. Chapter 6 was this prayer of the king um, after the completion of the temple, that bronze altar that he had established in the court. And he just knelt on that thing and extended his arms and he was just praying a bold prayer. God, look at this place. Just turn your eyes towards this house and just, Lord, have favor over it. Put your name on this place. And that was the the prayer of the king. And chapter 7, our text today, is what happens after the king finished the prayer with the entire assembly gathered in just great celebration. Let's pick up the reading, chapter 7, verse 1. Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. Can you imagine what a sight that would have been? Like, uh, it would have been something etched in the back of your mind until the last of your days. Verse 2, And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshipped and gave praise to the Lord, saying, Truly He is good. Truly, His loving kindness is everlasting. Then, then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. This is no small matter, right? Thus the king and all the people dedicated the house to God, uh, the, the house of God, and the priests stood at their posts and the Levites with the trumpets of music to the Lord, which King David had made for giving praise to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And whenever he gave praise by their, by their means, while the priests on the other side blew trumpets, and all Israel was standing. Then Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered the burnt offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because the bronze altar which Solomon had made was not able to contain the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the fat. So Solomon observed the feast at that time for seven days, and all Israel with him. 
a very great assembly who came from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt, and on the eighth day they held a solemn assembly, right? a holy convocation. For the dedication of the altar they observed seven days and the feast seven days. Then on the 23rd day of the seventh month he sent the people to their tents rejoicing and happy of heart because of the goodness that the Lord had shown to David and to Solomon and to his people Israel. And thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's palace and successfully completed all that he had planned on doing in the house of the Lord and in his palace. And then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and he said to him, I have heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Amen. This occurrence like many that we have read so far over these past few weeks, are memorable. I mean, like, absolutely mind-blowing to have witnessed this firsthand. These people that were assembled here that day would have remembered this until their last. I see something in the passage that we read today that, ironically, I've never seen before every time I've read this chapter. Like, I have read chapter uh, 7, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, in different prayer gatherings. I remember gathering with people like Lou Engel and other prayer warriors at LA for the call, and them reading scriptures like this, calling out to a massive assembly, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then God will heal. And people just crying out for revival for America, for their nation, and for a generation. And I've been a part of assemblies, and I've read this verse. I've seen this passage. I've preached on this chapter before, but there is something that I have not seen in previous readings that I kind of caught this time. And it really is the, the birthing place of what I titled this message, Even When It Hurts. And I, I want to contrast two very different images in our passage. The context, again, Solomon inherited the mission, the calling to build a house for God from his dad. King David wanted to do it, but God says, you know what? You're not the right one. Give it to your son. And Solomon learned so much from his father. And you see it in the passages that we read. The way that he gave offering. How he brought the ark into the temple. The things that he did. It is clear as day, that he learned a tremendous amount from his father David. And so now the temple is completed. They used timbers and cedars. They brought in stones and metals. And it was an immaculate structure. And all of Israel is gathered for the dedication of this temple. Trumpets are blowing. Cymbals are clanging. Lyres are playing. And all of the priests are gathered. And they're just surrounding this court. 
There is just standing room only, and there is the sound of sheep and oxen. Just bah. You can just imagine what 142,000 animals sounds like, right? I mean, you just get three rowdy dogs, and it's just an, a roaring mess. And you can imagine 140 plus thousand animals that day, just there, offered as a sacrifice to the Lord, right? And this is going on, and Solomon is on this platform that he built, made of bronze. He stands on it first, kneels down, stretches out his hands, and says, Lord, we finished it. Look down upon it. Have your name on this place. And he prays this prayer, and as soon as it happens, he's done. In a sense, amen, right? Fire visibly comes down from the sky and consumes the fat, the offering, the grain that is there on that altar. You are speechless at this moment. The only thing that will come out of your mouth is glory to God. And all they were saying is, God, you are so good. Your loving kindness is absolutely forever. This is all they could say. And I don't blame them for that. They're not talking about what happened yesterday. They're not talking about work. They're not talking about relatives. They're not talking about anything else. They're talking about this moment of sacrifice and dedication, this celebration, and God saying, I validate it. That's what they're talking about. It is just worship coming from their vocal cords because God has witnessed this and said, yes, I love it, and I will tell you that I love it by giving you this fire. Everybody in this moment, they fall flat on their faces. Everyone faces to the pavement. And they're just lost in worship in this moment. Like nothing else mattered to them. Uh, they forgot what they were wearing. Did I eat breakfast? What's for dinner? None of this entered into the mentality of anyone in that assembly. All they could think of was the glory of God. And they just bowed. That's like just a knee-jerk reaction. All I can do is fall on my face in this moment. And this assembly, it said, was happening for seven days. Like, uh, I've been a part of conferences before that were multiple days. What I would have would give to be a part of these seven days. Like to have had a ticket to, to be a part of this assembly for this week. It would have changed your life. Like you cannot be the same. You cannot live your life after this assembly the same way you did prior to it. It was that life-changing, that monumental, right? And for seven days, this is happening, and one of the verses that we read, it says that all Israel was standing, right? And so it was like one or the other. It was like either your face was on the ground in prostrated worship, or you were just like standing, like with arms raised most likely, in just majestic declaration to God. And it was just so powerful, and in a sense so extreme. Right? And so the first thing that I see here is praise at the peak. Like, it is a mountaintop experience. It is one of those things when you get to the Grand Canyon and you are 
perched at the top of a hill, looking down and you're saying, wow, this is majestic. Like you, you can't even just soak it all in. It's like, it's that moment, that mountaintop where it's like, this is breathtaking. And all of God's people were in that moment. And as I see it, it is easy to praise there. <laughs> like, there's got to be something wrong with you if you cannot praise in this moment. Like, if worship doesn't come out of your mouth in such an assembly, like, like is there a beating heart inside of you? Like, can you not, like, mentally register what's going on here? Like, something would have had to have been seriously wrong with you if you could not praise God in this moment. No matter how antisocial, introverted, unexpressive you are, it does not matter. In this moment, you would have had your face to the ground or arms in the sky. Like, it would have happened. Praise is easy in these moments. Right? When everybody in just majestic declaration, resounding voices like angels, and this chorus is ascending, there is something coming from your lips. Praise. And I see this assembly as this great mountaintop experience for the nation of Israel, for God's people. And praise was natural. Right? It was monumental. Right? On the eighth day, Solomon, he says, let's have a, a solemn assembly. And they kind of turn the tides a little bit. And it, it's a moment to kind of just let it really soak in. Let's, let's quiet down the music for a, a second. And let's have a moment where we're just meditating. And we're gathering for the purpose of really understanding what this means for our people, for God. And they have this solemn assembly on the eighth day. And then after that, Solomon sends everybody home. A massive gathering. And it says that they went home rejoicing. They went home glad in their hearts for the goodness of God, for all that He had shown His people. That's what it says. That they left like, man, high-fiving each other. Like, man, that was epic. That was like phenomenal, right? And they're going home in this way, and they are just rejoicing. They're singing as they're walking the roads. I can see it already, right? That's what they're talking about at the bus stop, at the, at the train terminal, so to speak. You know, wherever they were gathered, because everybody was there. The entire nation was focused on this assembly. And as they're going back to their homes, they're talking about this. So thankful, still worshiping. And now it's over. And something changed. Something changed here after it was over. Verse 11 says, Solomon finished praying. Solomon finished the assembly. Solomon finished the house. And everybody went home. And then it says, when Solomon was by himself, at night in the king's palace, I can imagine it was just quietly in his own chamber in the middle of the night. God speaks up. And in a sense, what he says to Solomon, it changes 
the dialogue. Like, it changed the story, and I never picked up on this before. And this is what I picked up here, this time reading this chapter. Temple great, monumental great, worship great, assembly epic, like worship, right? Everybody's singing and rejoicing, loud volume. Things die down, Solomon's by himself, and God knocks on his heart and says, I've heard you praying. I heard your prayer, and I have decided to make this house my house where sacrifices will be made. I will write my address that this is where I live. I'll validate you. That's what he says to Solomon, right? That's verse 13. And then in verse 14, oh, sorry, that was verse 12. And verse 13 changes everything. And so he's saying, yes, thank you for that great assembly. I've heard your prayer. I'll write my name on it. I'll put my address there. And then in verse 13, If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Like suddenly, it's no longer about this great mountaintop. Now, what, we're, what God is painting here, when your land is cracking with dryness, and all of the work of every farmer is in vain, when a swarm of insects devour everything that you have harvested, when your bodies are boiling over with sores and sickness. Like he changes the dialogue, doesn't he? Like he's not talking about the thank you for all of those horns and that sound and that worship, right? Because praise was easy in that moment. Like when everybody is gathered and everybody is singing, who can't sing in that moment? You drown out in that great assembly. It's easy in that moment. And God wants to know something with His people. He wants to know something of Solomon and of what this temple means. Does this temple mean just this grand assembly of worship? Does this temple mean that only when there's great music and this, this great assembly that there is this worship coming up to God? Is this when you will just dedicate yourselves to me? That He wants to know something in the heart of His people and He points it out here. And he wants to know something, not just with the grandness of worship and assembly, but I want to know when there is no rain, when your bodies are boiling over with sickness, when there is no crop in the land, and you are hungry to the bottom of your stomach, in that moment, will you still pray? Do, do, do you see that? Like, it hit me like a freight train this past week. Like, I saw it, like, I mean, I come on a Sunday and it's great. Like, I can worship. Worship for me on Sunday pre-sermon is so important for me. And, and in this moment, for me, I, like, there is worship that comes up, in a sense, in my heart. It's easy, right? It's easy. I mean, I'm preparing myself to lead a congregation in worship and through the Word. It's easy in this moment. But when I feel like God has disappointed me, like the prayer that I have been praying for years, the one that I really want, and God is like, ah, no. I'll go reverse. I'll go the other way. What you don't want, I'll give you. 
Like when that happens, and in my heart, I'm blaming God. In my heart, I'm disappointed. In my heart, I'm angry. In my heart, I'm frustrated. In that moment, when God says, if I do it, if I say heavens be closed, if I say insects go, if I say bodies be sick, if I do that, will you still humble yourself and pray? Will there still be worship in your gut in that season? And that's what God wants to know here. That's what he's saying to Solomon, the king, quietly in his chamber. Everybody's gone. There's no singing anymore. There's no more instruments. The priests are home. The assembly's been, been over and done with. And now in the quietness of his room. Okay, I heard you, Saul. I'll answer you. I'll put my name there. This is my house now. But what I really want to know is will you pray in the valley? Like you praised at the peak? Okay, thank you. Like I validated. I gave you fire on that mountaintop. Like I showed you I was pleased by giving you fire on top of that peak. All right? But what I really want to know is that when you're walking in this valley of dryness and bones, when you feel as though there is no one around you to identify with, like when all hell is broken loose and every prayer request has gone backwards, will you pray? I have heard your prayer. And have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. And in that moment, if they still seek my face, if they're doing evil, sinful, wicked things, if they turn from that, no matter how disappointed they are, then, then I'm really going to hear you. Like I told you I'm going to put my name there. I told you I'll, I'll look at it and my ear will be inclined. But what I want to know is in that season of the valley, will you still pray? Because when you pray in the valley, I'll hear you. I'll forgive sin. And I'm going to heal the land. God wants something different from His people. God doesn't want easy praise. He wants hard prayer. Like that's the barometer of my connection to God. Not how easily my hands go up in worship, in corporate gatherings, but the barometer of my spirituality and my connection as a child to my Heavenly Father, it happens in these moments. And that's what I want to share. These last weeks and, you know, month and a half, I've been so thankful to, to come into this space, to set up an office, to create a, a prayer room, to be able to pray whether here or, or there, 
And I've been so thankful for just the mercy of God. And I've mentioned the first Sunday that we got here, this is by grace. Because in my heart, there was so much doubt, so much hurt, so much depression. And I barely got here. And so what's coming up from my lips when I come here midweek is thankfulness. Like, it's so easy right now. But what I feel like God was saying to me, I saw you in the valley. Like, you didn't give up. I, 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 I was listening in that valley. And that prayer, I felt like God was saying, that was more meaningful when it was hard. <laughs> when it was hard. And we're here. Next week we'll have our anniversary service. A lot of great things. I feel like God can and will do. Different things that I feel like God leading me in and wanting to, to just start at our church. But attendance to those things, that's not the truest barometer of the strength of our church, of the depth of our church. It will be like when I feel like it is hard to come. It is hard to serve. I feel disappointed. Like in those moments, what comes out of me in worship to God, in prayer to God, God says, yeah, that's what I was waiting for. That's the fragrance that I really like. That other one, that was good, but this is my favorite one. This is my favorite smell. That bowl right there, that incense. Ah, I want more of that. So the two pictures, praising at the peak and praying in the valley. I believe God wants both. And we as a church, let's give Him both. Let's gather Sundays and learn what that celebration means, that expressiveness, to be able to fall on my face in assembly. Let's learn what that means. To resound with a loud voice. God, you're good. Your loving kindness is everlasting. <laughs> to experience that. And to know that when we're gathered in corporate assembly, that this is meaningful, powerful, that praise that happens here, God can send fire. That when I, when I gather here, the offering that I give here on this corporate altar, God says, I like that. Thank you for this house. Thank you for sacrificing to build me this house. My name is there now. Let's pray that way. Let's believe that. But let's also know that in this space, when that's the only one, that's me and no one else, and I feel so alone right there, that God deserves something meaningful there as well. It might not be the same vocal cord, decibel, loudness. But it's a prayer of meaning. There's a humility there. There's a repentance there. There's a trust there. Let's give Him that as well.
that even if God shuts up the heavens and the ground is cracking, that even if the locusts come and my work is in vain, that even if He sends pestilence and I'm sick to my bones, may He find a person that is still seeking Him. Just as the keys come up, I'm going to end today a little bit differently. Um, the title of this message, Even When It Hurts, is not originally mine. I actually got the title of this message from a song. Maybe you've heard it. You can grab the lights as I just show this video. We can close that door too, actually, make it a little bit easier. The lock is on the top of it. As I was in my own worship this last week, I came across this song. I, I never heard it before. And I was originally going to title this message something different, but I changed the title of it because of this song. And I knew that this is how I wanted to close the message. I don't know if you've ever heard, I don't know how you pronounce her first name, Taya, Taya, you know, Taya Smith. She's one of the worship leaders for Hillsong United. She's leading in this song at one of the Hillsong conferences a few years ago. And it's just the video clip of that song. And I know it's going to feel like you're watching it on TV or like it's just a YouTube clip. But I hope that through this, you can worship. That if you know the song, I invite you to sing with her. And she prefaces the song with a psalm and a few words. And those words are very powerful. That's why I chose this clip to show us. You gotta turn the. It's coming from my computer. No. Hold on. I'm gonna. Can you turn it back on? Can you turn the volume up? Yeah, right there. Grace will be on our lips tonight. 
I think if you live life long enough, you actually understand that sometimes there are really awesome seasons and it feels like you're on the mountaintop. It's really easy to praise God. And there are other times when it's actually a sacrifice of praise. But that's our prayer tonight, that we will praise God no matter what. No matter what else is happening around us, we will praise God. And that will be the sound coming off our lips. Even when it hurts. Even when it 
I want to end through a time of prayer today, if we could. Um, I don't want to infer whether this is a peak or a valley in your life or a plateau. Um, But I do want to convey the importance of praising at the peak and what a Sunday experience, in a sense, really is. This corporate celebration. And I also want to talk about our faithfulness and humility in any given valley. And I admonish you to say, give Him praise that means something. 142,000 sheep and oxen that day. That was, that's me, that's hard. That's loud, that's smelly. Like that sacrifice, that means something, right? That's... That's like, man, like, I, I, I didn't know that worship would be this tiring. Like, man, that was like, woo! That was that type of sacrifice. Like, but it was mountaintop. Let's give him meaningful praise corporately. And let's give him meaningful prayer privately. As well as corporately, too. And as we close today, I just want to give you some time just to kind of meditate on some of the themes that I spoke about. And would you just give God a meaningful prayer and confession? Give me a few moments.